The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the Law Offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinske. Got a great guest today, Daniel Rohr, who directed this year's Oscar-nominated documentary, Navalny. Sue, how you doing? I'm doing good, Steve. Yeah, my dogs are getting groomed as we speak. This is Ron the Dog's very first grooming session, and I cannot even imagine how much he's going to hate it. Now, was he shaking, like, in uh, anticipation of this event? Well, he's it's never happened to him before, so he no, doesn't... No, I mean, so... Oh, so... Um, but when he sees the... The, the truck pull up, the mobile <laughs> the, the, groomer. The mobile groomer. He, he gets a case of the shakes, yeah. He is he is going to be... Well, you know, it's it's the first time, so he's going to be a little freaked out, but he'll be... Will, will he be... Will he nip? Uh, he... Well, they have him in a harness. I've never seen him nip. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I hope not. But uh, but okay. I th- this is a professional, a trained professional. I assume he'll guide right. us through it. So uh, before we get to uh, Navalny, did you watch the Grammys last night? I did. So uh, Harry Styles album of the year, mm-hmm. record of the year, Lizzo about damn time song. What's of the, the year. difference? What is the difference between album and record? Okay, so. It's so funny. I explain this to Juan every year at Grammy's time. So best album of the year is the collection of all the songs on one album. Okay. Best record of the year is the single, the production of the single. So for example, let's take Harry Styles. Harry's House is the album. That one best album for all the songs on the album. Okay. Uh, then uh, record of the year, Lizzo, About Damn Time, was just an individual single record. And then Bonnie Raitt's Song of the Year, she won last night for And Just Like That, and that's for the actual song writing. So Song of the Year is for writing, Record of the Year is for, for producing, and Album of the Year is for all the songs on the one The whole album. compilation of the yeah. album. Okay. Okay. Damn. I, I can't believe how often I explain that, but it's, it's it's clear well, to well, me because, for some reason. But. Well, it's it's I guess because it's the name of it. So to me, a record is an album. So when they say album of the year, record of the year, it just sounds like the same thing to me. Yeah, I get it. And then song of the year and record of the year sounds like the same. Did you feel like you've come away with a better understanding of what's going on? I have. I think that if I were on a game show, I, I would actually get it right. Excellent, excellent. And if not, I could be your phone a friend. <laughs> So what performances grabbed you? What grabbed you about the show? You know, I, for me, you know, it, it, I think it was like one of the best Grammys I've ever seen. Hmm. I thought that the, uh, the hip hop medley was great. It was great. Um, and I'm not a huge hip hop fan. So, I mean, it really, really, it really moved me. I'm um, just seeing the old guard, you know? Um, right. That was, you that know was what I could have used during that s- segment was, 
names underneath each act, which yes. we didn't get. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert, so I'd like to know, hey, that's Ice-T. I mean, I know LL Cool J, right. uh, but uh, but I didn't know all of the acts that were part of that uh, medley for the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Right. Tom actually, um, was Nelly there? <laughs> <laughs> I think Nelly was there. Okay. I think so. Right. Okay. The, because yeah, the I bandits. said, there's Nelly. And Tom looked at me like, how the hell do you know that? Right. He said, I wouldn't be able to pick him out of anywhere. I think Nelly has the bandage, right? Yes. We, we may sound like idiots, but I well, think <laughs> I think Nelly is the guy with the bandage. Yeah. So the hip hop was great. Um, the... Uh, the in memoriam, um, I, I thought it was beautiful. Oh, it was so beautiful, and um, I love the fact that uh, uh, Casey Mul- Mulgrave was wasn't wearing any shoes. Oh yeah, yeah, she sang Coal Miner's Daughter. Yes. So I don't know whether because she sang the song she wasn't wearing shoes to actually be a coal miner's daughter, <laughs> or she just didn't was more wear, comfortable, or she just didn't wear shoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the fact that Bonnie Raitt won. Yeah. I love the fact that Willie Nelson won. Um, I, oh, I loved uh, Smokey Robinson and uh, and Stevie Wonder. Yeah, and Chris Stapleton, who and is Chris, one of my yeah. favorite vocalists right now. He was so good. They did Higher Ground. Uh, Smokey did Tears of a Clown. Um, that was like for some award that Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson both. By the way, they're inventing all these new awards all the time. Um, and this one was for the icon. No, the icon award went to Dr. Dre. And this was like the music cares foundation award. Um, I also love Brandy Carlisle. Oh, she's one of my favorite. Yeah. You know, what's weird about her. The only time I ever see her is award shows. I never see her the rest of the year. Hmm. Can you remember the last time you saw Brandy Carlisle that wasn't the Grammys? No, although a friend of mine saw her not that long ago in concert and said she was insanely great. I'm sure she's fantastic. And her, you know, I, I was thinking that, uh, you know, she's, she falls into these rock category, folk category, Americana category. I mean, she just, she ticks a lot of boxes. And I just think she's got a phenomenal voice and obviously is a great guitarist. What do you think of Lizzo? I really like Lizzo. Yeah. She's fun. And I, and I think she has the goods, you know, I don't think that she's, you know, she's some like scammer artist, you know, I, I, I think she's extremely talented. I just love her energy. I love how she just lives so comfortably in her skin. Yeah. Good for uh, her. And I, and I think that she has been, um, a real inspiration, uh, for a lot of people as well. Yeah. And I also loved, there's a, theatricality about her performances like last night she had i think she calls them her big girl dancers right. uh, or her big girl choir um and that that choir uh uh just beautiful uh version of his of her song i i just thought she's got a th- theatricality about her that i i really like um one little nugget viola davis won the Grammy for best spoken word recording. And that makes her an EGOT winner. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I originally started out wanting to win an EGOT. And then I realized I don't have any of the prerequisite skills to actually win one. You don't got it, Steve. <laughs> I, don't, I don't got it. 
You don't uh, got it. Although I could have gotten a Tony for My Fair Lady and my yeah. high school production gone. Oh boy, getting so much mileage on that. <laughs> you know what I realized last night that I have uh, one degree of separation uh, with uh, a Grammy winner. Okay. Niall Rogers. Yeah. Niall Rod, my girlfriend, Sidra, who you met at my party. Yes, I met Sidra. Sidra is a singer. Okay. Um, and I don't think she sings as regularly, but when we were kids, she was in a band. And when we were in high school, like a little after high school, and she dated Tony Thompson, who was the drummer for La Chic when she was very young. <laughs> for La Chic, yeah. And um, we went to, she and I went to Niall Rogers' apartment in Manhattan. He lived by Lincoln Center. He lived in this like amazing apartment. We were like, I don't know, 18, 19 years really? old. And we hung out with him in his apartment. But th then you're actually one degree. I said no, one you're degree. No, you're no degrees. You met him. Well, I met him, but my, my connection is really through Sidra. So okay. I say it's one degree. I mean, he, wa he wasn't my friend. He was her friend. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, of course, the big night was uh, Beyonce, who became the single, uh, as, uh, as an individual artist, has won more Grammys than anybody in history. And I think Lizzo said, you're the greatest performer of our lifetime. Wow. Yeah. And her album, I, for whatever reason, she never seems to win album of the year. She wins a lot. Mm -hmm. She never wins. A lot of people thought Renaissance, the Beyonce album, was going to be um, the, the winner last night. And instead, it was Harry Styles. Now, are you a Harry Styles fan? I love him. What do you love? I just think he's, he's, um, he's fun to watch. I love how he, you know, his performance. I've never seen him live, but... Um, and I love how he loves his fans. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was a, there was something that, that, that he did years ago where, um, some, didn't someone like come out at someone his Someone came out at a Harry Styles and it's become, I guess it's happened again since, but the idea is that people have come out to their parents at a Harry Styles concert, which is actually really cool. It's really cool. And I love the way he embraced that fan. Oh, that was something that older woman. Yeah. Was his fan. That was a section that I thought I was going to hate, but I thought it was really fun to hear this group of, you know, civilians talking, giving their take on why they chose who they chose. And a lot of them, I guess, had a kind of a personal connection yeah. to the artist, but. I thought that was really, really great producing. I thought it was going to be very hokey, and uh, I, th I thought I was going to hate it also. And in the end, I thought, that's really cool. They even found somebody who likes ABBA. <laughs> <laughs> Some young guy who played in Mamma Mia loves ABBA, so they, they have a super fan also. Well, there was one person that really looked like they hated being there. Ben Affleck, he looked like he was... Uh, J-Lo's like plus one at either her high school reunion <laughs> or an office party. He looked so bored. He was bored with the whole thing. He bored just, and annoyed. And annoyed for being there. Yeah. It's like, what did she drag me to? And meanwhile, she's having a great time. She's up dancing. <laughs> and I love the performers that are up dancing. Like Taylor Swift dances to everything. Adele yeah. was dancing. Rihanna, uh, Beyonce was dancing. Uh, ben Affleck, not dancing. Not at all. But standing. Yes. He yes. had to stand, but she not She probably dance. looked at him and he was like, all right. All right, I'll stand, I'll stand up for this. <laughs> Stevie Wonder. 
Yeah. Yeah. I thought that, I thought that was great. And what do you think of uh, Trevor Noah? Not a big fan. Really? I'm not a what big about fan. Him? I just don't think he's funny. Now, did you think his role was to be a stand-up last night or somebody to just move the traffic? Well, it's it's dual. Yeah. It's dual. And probably to move the traffic is probably the the most important, but the times when uh comedy when he was doing comedy, yeah. It 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 fell flat for me. Wow. You are such a tough judge. Well, I I you know, when it comes to comedy, you you have a ta- you have tastes. I do. I do. Yeah. So do you. No, oh, I do too. Yeah, yeah, no, I thought he did a good job of moving the trains along. To me, that's the most difficult thing is how do I get these pieces to fit together and to knit different segments together? I thought he did a good job with that. LL Cool J used to do that really well, too. And Alicia Keys also did it really well. But Trevor Noah, I thought I thought was solid last night. Didn't make me laugh, but I thought he did a good job of of getting from one segment to another and is obviously a huge fan of all the performers, which makes a difference. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just not a fan. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Trevor. So we love to talk about movies during Academy Awards season. And one of the most important documentaries of the year is Navalny, which tells the story of Alexei Navalny, the opposition leader in Russia, who was poisoned by trained killers in August of 2020. The film was directed by Daniel Rohr. It has been nominated for the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. And Daniel joins us now, along with one of the team of investigators that actually broke the story, Christo Grosev, from the investigative team known as Bellingcat. Uh, Daniel, Christoph, thank you so much for doing this, and congratulations on the movie. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Alexei Navalny, a hero, has devoted his life to fighting the corruption in the Russian government, and specifically Vladimir Putin. Let's talk about his rise as a political leader. What what about him has galvanized such support among so many Russian people? Well, I think um, it's kind of his public rise to this prominence, which started from a blogger. He was just one of the bravest bloggers back in about 15 years ago. And he was talking about everyday things, people that other media, professional media, didn't really address in those times, including street crime, including political corruption. And um, he kind of made a a name for himself as somebody who's fiercely independent, wouldn't take instructions. Mm, Everybody was afraid of him. Everybody even tried to instrumentalize him at the time. Even the political powers that be were trying to use him by feeding him um, information about their enemies. But he was quick enough to figure that out and didn't, didn't actually play along. But what really happened, what changed um, for him was the team that he was able to gather around him. Um, We're talking about at the peak of his activist career, when he decided to run for president, he set up 88 regional offices of his anti-corruption fund. This became essentially the only and the largest opposition political movement and party in Russia. And anybody who wanted to be at all involved with politics, and especially with non-Kremlin politics, uh, flocked to him. So he got these thousands and thousands of super energetic young people and he used their tools. He learned how to use Instagram, how to use TikTok, and he spoke to the young people. So I think that's what made him a completely different type of po- po- politician, much closer to the American type of politician than to anything Russia had seen before. How was he able 
to be on social media in a country that doesn't allow that, really. I mean, how, how was he able to, to have a YouTube channel, like, for as long as he did? Well, until Russia, until the Kremlin decided to convert Russia into North Korea 2.0, which happened about two years ago, um, Putin realized that he needs to allow for a modicum of, of uh, pluralism and democracy in the country. Otherwise, he would create a... Uh, sort of a, a pressure cooker, um, and that was the smart Putin. And and he something happened in his head, and he forgot about that formula that he had. So now we're in the period of the crazy Putin, where he locked all of that in, and that's why before that you could see opposition uh, voices, opposition figures. Of course, when they became too dangerous, Putin sent the people to kill them. Right, but this was supposed to be in secret. This was supposed to be deniable. And well, the rest is history made by this guy here, Daniel, because we showed it on, on film. <laughs> we sure did. So Daniel, when did you as a filmmaker dive into this story? At what point in the narrative did you start shooting? Well, so often making documentaries is the art of being in the right place at the right time. And this film really embodies that notion. Christo and I and, and our one of our colleagues were working on a completely different story. We were in Kiev working on a film there. It wasn't going well. And so we found ourselves in October of 2020 in Vienna. I was trying to figure out if I'd go back to Canada, where I'm from, or if we would stay and try and go back to Ukraine. Nothing was certain and anything was possible. And that's when Crystal walked in one day and, and told us that he was working on a new investigation, something that we had not been previously privy to, which was the investigation into who poisoned Alexei Navalny. And immediately I understood that this had uh, the the makings of an extraordinary uh, nonfiction film. And uh, because of Christo and his professional pedigree and his investigative pedigree, we were able to ride on his coattails to go and meet with Navalny and his staff and essentially pitch them on a film project. Navalny had been out of a coma for what, four weeks, maybe? Yeah, when, weeks. when we were, were first met with him, he was... Um, he was in rehab, essentially, in this sleepy little town, enjoying the fresh air and learning how to um, reorient his fine motor skills. Um, and he was very, very keen on hearing what Christo had to say and, and, and receptive to the pitch that I had for him as well. Did you ever have any concerns about uh, entering into doing a documentary like this with the likes of Putin? Um, yeah, I mean, my last film was a music documentary about an old rock band. So this one was really <laughs> scarier than that one was. Um, but at the end of the day, once you're around Navalny, you very quickly acclimate to the courage and bravery that his team embodies. Um, and I think that his own courage really proliferates through the entire film team. Um, so at the beginning, I understood that there was a risk factor and it was a bit dangerous, but I also understood that the danger probably would not be vested or aimed towards me. But there's always the, the, the possibility of collateral damage or scary things like this. Well, I can, I can confirm that Daniel was very analytical about assessing the danger and he kept asking me on a daily basis, where do you think I rank? He ranked on the kill list. Would it be below you, Crystal? And I, I gave him comfort. I said, before, before they get to you, they'll get to me. So you'll know when to run. This was a real conversation. <laughs> That's right. We actually said that. <laughs> I, I I understood that, uh, you know, I wasn't doing the journalistic work. I wasn't doing the investigation. It's a very different job to be filming the journalists than to be the actual journalist. And I took a little bit of solace in that distance. Christo, on the other hand, as we now know, is in a very different position. Uh, just, what was it, two or three weeks ago, he had the very unique distinction 
and uh, being the first foreign national to be added to Russia's most wanted list uh, for charges that are still uh, a mystery. Um, and that's an escalation. And it's obviously very, very scary. So, Christo, you kind of scare me because of your ability to use the dark web to get info. I mean, the sequence in which you are able to get the information on that team of killers is amazing. Talk about that process, buying material in the dark web and all that stuff is just fascinating to me. Yeah, well, the dark web is a bit of, a bit of an exaggeration here because I don't go to the dark web, I go to the uh, gray web, which is kind of uh, uh, telegram channels. Telegram is a messenger that is super popular in Russia and all of the trades there are happening in broad daylight, even illegal trades. I mean, we're not talking about drugs or or or, or um, uh, hitmen for hire, but generally breached data and personal data is being sold and traded there quite openly. So um, if you know where to look, you will, you'll find it. And um, previously, this market was available only to criminals in Russia and also to uh, FSB officers, security officers who wanted to simplify their own job by just um, buying data from the black market rather than going and doing the surveillance in person. But since about 2017, we at Bellingcat decided to, well, I, I did, that why don't we put that market to better use and then use it for journalism, for investigative journalism. So the way it would work is important to remember that it's not um, an investigation that started from scratch, the Navalny poisoning investigation. We had previously spent years investigating who manufactures the poisons, the toxins in Russia today, because we investigated previously the Skripal poisoning in the UK, and then the poisoning of a Bulgarian arms dealer. So we kind of knew who in Russia has access to and does R&D, research and development on chemical weapons for boutique use, like for targeted killings. So when we started plotting the algorithm for how to investigate Navalny, we had this idea, probably they would have gone through the same scientists that they've used previously. So we knew their, their phone numbers of these scientists, we got their phone records, I mean, not content, but just like whom they called and received phone calls. And we found out that around the time of the poisoning, these scientists were talking to people from the FSB, from Russia's Domestic Security Service, which was already a huge red flag. And then when we started getting the travel records of those FSB officers with whom they talked, we saw that they flew alongside Alexei Navalny uh, on a, I think it was a total of 66 trips in the last five years. So they literally followed him around and they had gone to this trip in Siberia where he fell into a coma. So from that moment on, it was clear what happened. We just had to prove it. And the ultimate proof actually came from a self confession in the film. <laughs> it was the craziest thing I've seen or experienced. That was insane. You know, when I'm watching this documentary, it kind of reminded me of uh, all the president's men without deep throat, you know, um, and seeing you and Maria during that call that Navalny did calling up all of the suspects. What I want to know is what was the conversation with him prior to that? Because he was so cool and calm did he improvise his way through these phone calls or was was he coached? Well, I think at the beginning, his conceit was just to do this as like a, 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 you know, a total prank, you know, just to scare these guys. But the performance on the day of, I mean, Christo, you can speak to it better because you speak the language, but yeah. it's a flawless performance. Well, first of all, no, he wasn't coached. And um, we actually anti-coached him. We tried him to not go into that prank mode because we thought it's not going to work. 
So the idea was for him to do, just do some perverted version of journalistic confrontation of the topic of your investigation, just to call them and to ask them, why did you try to kill me? And he did that. That was kind of the coached version. And then at one point he says, this is going nowhere. They're going to hang up for the rest of the day. How about I try to pretend I'm their boss? And we said, that's crazy because they would know your voice. They would not fall for that. They would not talk in an open line. He just looked at me, looked at the at the wall of suspects, and he said, which of these guys do you think is the dumbest? And I told him, and he made that phone call. <laughs> so, Daniel, this is also a story about family. Yeah. Uh, Alexei's wife, uh, Yulia, his two kids, what dad is doing is trying to lead a revolution, but his family really on board for this completely full, unconditional support, right? Well, yeah, I, I really think that Navalny derives a lot of his strength and empowerment from his family. It's really remarkable to see not only his courage, but how his courage echoes through that of his children and, and Yulia, his, his, his wife. This is a family that is so steadfast in their support of their father and husband that it's sort of a force of nature in and of itself. And you can only imagine how much more challenging his work would be if his family did not support him, if his family did not believe in the vital necessity that is his mission. Um, and I remember, Krista, you had a conversation with Yulia, didn't you? That was one of the most uh, striking and kind of life-changing conversations for me because um, when Alexei announced that he wants to go back to Russia, which was a shock to all of us, right? Yeah. Um, I had a private talk over a glass of wine with his wife and I said, are you okay with this? And she said, sure. I said, um, explain this to me. I don't get it. And she said, well, if it doesn't go back, he becomes just one of the many talking heads who are like trying to be somebody from outside of their country. But if he really wants to be a politician uh, that is electable in this country, he has to be where his people are, where he, his constituents are. And I said, oh, yeah, that's all beautiful. But do you realize that he's going to be jailed? And she said, absolutely. And then I I, I pushed further. I said, do you realize it's not going to be for a couple of weeks? It may be for months, I said naively. Yeah, months. She said, it's going to be years. It's going to be years, and we are okay with that. I've never seen such a, such an attitude from any person, let alone their family. And and I think this is what makes him a different person than, than all of us. Yeah, what I marvel about him so much is his sense of humor throughout a lot of this. You know, when he was walking through the village where they were living when he left Russia and she wanted to pick an apple and he was yeah. like don't have don't let them film you stealing an apple you know don't get that on on camera people um, are surprised to, to learn that this film is a dark comedy <laughs> <laughs> but, but but so many things like even when they were landing you know he was what they were watching the simpsons were they watching the simpsons yeah, morty. rick and morty, oh, rick rick and morty. morty. They were, oh even better yeah. even yeah. better um, you know, yeah. watched Rick and Morty as he was falling into a coma as well. So that that's kind of a full loop circle. Yeah, that's right. Then. So the most amazing moment in the movie, I think, for me is when uh, Daniel, I think it's you, say, "What if you go to prison for life, or if you're killed, and what what do you want to say to the Russian people?" And he gives that answer in English, and then you ask for him to do it in in Russian. Describe yeah. sort of that that moment which i think is is really gets me in this film well you know so many people have have talked about that moment as as one that's particularly poignant it ends the film it's one of the last last it's the last thing we see of alexei where i i ask him the question if you are killed if this does happen what message you have for the russian people 
And I remember it was at the very end of, I think, the last shooting day when we shot that interview. And he was tired. And when you have to speak in a language that's not your own native language, it's even more challenging. And so he gave me an answer in English that was sort of lame. He said, don't give up or something canned and, and uninspired. And wanting to elicit something more, something a little bit more inspiring, I said, Alexei, say it in Russian. And so he addressed his people, his supporters, and, and he said that something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, but, but evil guys, evil dudes are only able to proliferate if good people do nothing. So don't be inactive. Hmm. And the reason why I think that's such an important idea is because he's not just speaking to Russians. He's speaking to citizens all over the world who are pushing back against the tides of authoritarianism. Um, and that, unfortunately, is a conversation that is relevant uh, uh, profoundly today, um, more so now than than in a while, and and that's something that uh, that the world needs to pay attention to. Is Navalny's words, "Don't be inactive," especially at the time of war. Especially yeah. At the time of war. Yeah, I mean, on, on a grander scale, you know, this this warning about the rise of authoritarian governments around the world—that's really the context for the movie. I mean, it is about Navalny, and it is about what's happening in Russia right now. But there are multiple situations, you know, whether it's old Erdogan or uh, Bolsonaro or so the rise of authoritarian leadership. Um, I'm, I'm interested from you, Christo. Do you feel as though journalism is doing its job in terms of raising the awareness uh, of, about the rise of authoritarianism? Well, I mean, the only agency the only institution that is doing anything about it is journalism that's uh, i'm afraid uh, i have to say that but i do feel that there is um, a pervasive sense of moral relativism throughout the journalistic journalistic class unfortunately around the world where they try to pick um uh bad actors and less bad actors and they have a uh, also many of the people who are in our profession they have their own favorites and sometimes uh, or favorite enemies and pet peeves. So I know a lot of people who for years have, for example, been very critical of, of their own country, of the United States or Britain. And that kind of softens their willingness to go after real tyrants like Putin, like, like Erdogan, because they're kind of moderating and saying, Oh, our guys are not as bad. Remember Trump who said uh, a couple of years ago, well, we also killed people. Well, that, that's kind of the moral relativism that I find completely unacceptable. So I wish that there was more uh, anger and more uh, willingness to go out full mode against dictators by, by journalists, but at least they're doing something and many governments are not. You know, when we see what happened with Navalny, I mean, do you see a time where somebody like him, will be able to make a difference in a place like Russia, in Putin's Russia? Well, I mean, the, we've talked to local pollsters in Russia, and I think they have a better um, view than any of us on this. And they're saying uh, Russians love strong people. And if he survives jail, he's strong. He's like Nelson Mandela of Russia. And if he comes out of jail at the time when everybody has realized how terrible of an idea the war is, and with his anti-war message, he actually has a very high chance of being elected. I mean, even before that, he, if, if there were free elections in Russia, he would probably get between 30 and 35% of the vote. But if this comes at a time of, of the collapse of the economy and then Russia 
seeing body bags coming back from from their sons of their sons then this actually can push it above 50 percent. so i think yeah, yes i'm very hopeful yeah i have i have a dream of making a sequel to the navalny film and the sequel i want to make is the story of the first democratic election in russian history in which candidate navalny is able to pitch his program and his policies to the russian people who will get to decide uh, their own future in a free and fair election um that seems like a far off dream right now but one thing that navalny reminds all of us is that optimism and hope are vital to get through the darkest days and i think that this is probably the darkest moment imaginable with this horrendous genocidal war being waged and navalny being in uh, a horrible solitary confinement cell um but you know he is a flickering light in a very dark dark context and uh, i think he reminds all of us to have hope and i think that hope is very important you guys have been all over the world with this movie uh you're going to be at the academy awards uh what has this experience been like for you this sort of whirlwind i know you've done q and a's across the globe what's what's it all been like well the most important part of this film and getting this film out into the world is the understanding that Navalny and his plight and his mission are not being forgotten. Navalny's in a very dangerous place right now. This film does not have a happy ending. He's currently languishing in a solitary confinement cell. He's the only uh, prisoner, I believe, in the Russian penal system that is in perpetual solitary confinement. It's a torturous condition. Mm. And so I, I very much frame the mission of this film uh, to, to, to remind the world that he's there and to tell people who don't know his name who he is and what he's about and introduce the world to him in, in that way and i think keeping him in the global consciousness has a direct correlation to his own safety and longevity so that's the mission of the film of, of how i view it and all of the really wonderful humbling uh, and just for me shocking accolades that have come with this journey um only serve to further that mission um and for me that's very meaningful and the last thing i'll add is is experientially one thing that that i've always that's always meant a great deal to me is showing this film in berlin or copenhagen or tel aviv and having young russian people disillusioned and lost and exiled um, who fled this horrible horrible war who are uh, uh heartbroken that they can't see their families and and that there's all this death and destruction around them um, them coming to see the film and and seeing Navalny on the big screen and for the first time in a long time um, having a slight glimmer of hope for the future of their nation and feeling for just a moment proud to be Russian um, and seeing the 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 best qualities in their Russian spirit identified in this Navalny character um, then they approach me after crying and very emotional and for me it's incredibly meaningful. Well, listen, uh, Navalny is the name of the film. It is streaming now on HBO Max. Uh, Daniel Christo, thanks. You, you are keeping him in the world consciousness, which is, you know, a, an amazing accomplishment. And we, we hope the very, very best for him and, uh, wish you great success with the film. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. Thank you. Daniel and, uh, Christo there. Uh, Christo, by the way, is described by Daniel as, what what was it a Bulgarian Bulgarian nerd with a laptop? Yeah, definitely a, an amazing guy. It still is amazing to me that he was able to using I guess he says the gray web find those four guys that actually did it, and then that dumbass who's completely fooled and confesses 
the entire plan to Navalny is just an incredible sequence. It's kind of like, you know, when you watch like old Superman episodes, there was always the bumbler of, yeah. of the group that, you know, was, there was always that one guy that just like, like just was not on the program. Yes. Know? Yes. And, and it was great because he, they, you know, he went through a couple of guys and they were like, oh, for, you know, I, you know, they, they hung I up. Know they knew. I know who this is. Um, but to actually say you were somebody who was somebody that they actually spoke to all the time. Right. Right. I, I mean, it would, it just blew my mind. And it was and basically the murderer confet or the, the attempted killer talking to the guy that they attempted to kill. To, to kill. I mean, yeah. it was surreal. Yeah, it's it's amazing stuff. Well, as he said, really important to keep uh, Alexei Navalny in everybody's consciousness and the world's consciousness, and uh, say say a prayer for him in prison. That's a terrible, terrible uh, outcome, and hopefully, he gets out and is able to, as Daniel and Christo said, uh, lead a lead a revolution. And uh, polling says that he could very possibly. Uh, win an election in Russia if only if only he could be out of prison so we uh, it's an amazing movie it's called Navalny it is streaming now on HBO Max I'm pretty sure it's going to win the Oscar for best picture yeah it's great and it's well deserved it's great um, hey, it's imp- and it's, it's great and it's important yes it is um, so uh, hey everybody thank you so much for listening to the Culture Pop podcast we appreciate you being out there all the time uh, don't forget you can subscribe if you haven't already to the Culture Pop podcast on Apple Spotify or at stevemason.com and take a minute leave us a rating and a review Sue it's great seeing you and we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop podcast